Hello, everyone. This is Rick with the Cyber Pro Podcast. We're on a special edition. We're super excited because we're going to be highlighting cybersecurity law alongside of one of our trusted partners, On Call Cyber. And today, I have a licensed and practicing attorney, Doug DePep, who is the co-founder of On Call Cyber. Doug, we know that cybersecurity is an established industry, but why does cyber law need to be a core component of cyber? The field is multidisciplinary, and cyber law is an important component, whereas the, the technical team is looking to restore the network. That's simply uh, put. That, that's a simple explanation. But what the cyber law team is looking to do is protect the company at a macro level. They're looking to identify the duties and the exposures and the reputation and making sure that those duties um, are identified and adhered to so that the ramifications right, of the incident are addressed, uh, not just from a technical standpoint, but from a reputation and the, the legal responsibilities of the company. Doug, you just mentioned duties. And in the context of cybersecurity, what are sources of legal duties for businesses related to cybersecurity? And take that one step further for me. What trends are emerging today? Certainly, duties come from statutes and regulations. So those were going to specify uh, how you need to be prepared, what sort of risks you have to address, and then if there is an incident, what your duties are uh, to respond. Uh, but beyond the the compliance piece, so regulations and, and statutes tend to create, you know, that's a compliance, that's a compliance environment. There's also what are best practices. And some states and also the Federal Trade Commission have created something called reasonable security. So talking about what what a duty is, how do you define reasonable uh, reasonable standard, a reasonable security standard? And there, that definitely changes with time. It is what are the best practices? What are the trends in, in the space? So, for example, if everyone is instituting, which cyber insurance industry has made sure of uh, multi-factor authentication, and not just the cyber insurance industry, but if multi-factor authentication is a best practice and everyone's adopting it, then you're, being, you're not being reasonable if you haven't employed it. So uh, reasonable security is actually a term in certain statutes, and it's also something that the FTC has rolled out and, and is enforcing. Doug, talk to me about confidentiality and privilege and the advantages of having a retained cyber law counsel. So privilege refers to a characteristic of the practice of law that, that the courts honor, and that is that one, there's two types of privilege, that the communications privilege, which is the communications between client and counsel, that that communication is sacrosanct. Generally speaking, it will not be disclosed to third parties. The other privilege is the work product privilege, which is directly applicable to investigations from investigations for a, a data breach or, or a compromise. In that sense, the attorney leads the investigation with the forensic team uh, and, and it's done in anticipation of litigation. That's the standard that the courts look at to protect the privilege. So if the investigation was done to help counsel represent the client, that's likely to be protected under privilege. That's how it works. Um, or that's that's the the description of the attribute of, 
of privilege in the institution of law. How it, it applies is that in-house counsel does not enjoy the same work product privilege. External counsel, retained counsel, envelops the investigation, if done properly, with work product privilege. The benefit of that is that it's more likely to be withheld from discovery. It's not an absolute prohibition, but that is the best practice, and that's why uh, all compromises, uh, uh, incidents, are conducted with a breach coach. Doug, we see cyber breaches on the rise. What legal obligations do businesses have when it comes to both protecting sensitive data and responding to those breaches? Companies have to comply with any statutory or regulatory requirement. Those are the, the initial duties. Um, but I mentioned reasonable security, and reasonable security is both a prevention and, and a response uh, requirement. The, the principal uh, focus is on, uh, uh, from an incident, the principal focus is on identifying personally identifiable information. Uh, that is, underscores the focus of an incident response. And the reason for that is that data breach statutes, and now every state has a data breach statute as well, there are data breach pr provisions in HIPAA and, and the regulations around cybersecurity. They tend to focus in terms of the duties on whether there's a loss of personally identifiable information. And so the focus of the incident response, and for that matter, to avoid this data breach uh, exposure on the prevention side is to focus on, on protecting personally identifiable information. For example, if it's encrypted, then that's usually an exclusion or an exemption from the data breach statute in terms of, of reporting. So how this plays out is that if personal identifiable information, PII, is found to have um, been lost from an incident, then it will trigger the notification requirement in the statute or in many regulations. And that requires the, the business to report the incident with fair amount of detail to whomever is identified in the statute or regulation. It's typically to the, the victim, the, the consumer, um, but it's also sometimes to the attorney general, it's to credit reporting agencies. You may have a, uh, I'm sorry, you, you may have a contractual duty to report it to uh, a party that you're in, in, in contract with. So those are the duties that follow from an incident. Doug, in the event of a cyber incident, what are the steps an organization should take from a legal perspective, and how will this help in mitigating legal risk? So first, retain outside counsel for the reasons that I've mentioned. Then the overall nature of the incident response with the breach coach, step one is, is you know looking at the, the nature of the attack, uh, gathering information, and, and looking to move toward containment. Right? We, that's uh, under the framework, the approach to incident response, Obviously, we want to stop the bleeding, so to speak. We, uh, we want to contain. What the lawyer is also doing during that process, though, is looking to identify the, the PII uh, exposure risk. So where in the attack is PII maintained, stored, processed? Identify that and focus the investigation on that area because the, 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 the focus of the attorney 
is going to be, do we have a data breach? So the data breach is defined by statute or, by, or regulation, typically involves uh, some elements involving PII and whether it was lost, could be credit card information, could be identity data and so on. But knowing whether PII has been compromised is the focus and the investigation has got to be uh, narrowed on that. And then that, if so, if PII has been lost, and that triggers certain duties, namely notifications. We're super excited to air this. This was a special edition of the CyberPro podcast. We want to thank Doug DePep and the on-call cyber team. Make sure that you're checking on the links down below, making sure you're looking at what they're offering from both cybersecurity law, incident response planning, and all the great stuff that we've learned today. And here's the disclaimer, the legalese, because... We have to. This is not necessarily meant to be legal advice, but education and awareness. Please reach out to an attorney if you need the legal advice. Doug, thank you so much for being on the CyberPro Podcast. Rick, thank you. Enjoyed it.